What is up, Baton Rouge? Welcome back to the Tiger Pride Podcast, presented by 225 Magazine. I'm Mark Clements, here as always, with the one and only Jarrett Roser of TigerDetails.com. Jarrett, how are you this evening? Um, you know, this uh, Blue Store Chicken is good. That's that's a positive. A little comfort food on a Monday. Are you, are you you're literally, you're eating chicken during the podcast? Yeah, is that cool? Can I just can I finish my wings while? <laughs> I mean, I'm cool with it. Maybe maybe uh, maybe slightly ridiculous, but you do you. <laughs> I mean, I think it's slightly ridiculous to get shut out at home in back to back matchups with the same opponent, but that's neither here nor there. Dude, I uh, I don't even know where to start with this like abomination of a football game. I, I'm like I'm just it's such a whirlwind of emotions of like I'm like a little pissed, a little upset. A little just like don't yeah yeah, sure why not I mean I'm I'm just like I'm just over it this is like this I'm just over it I'm over it's just like it's not even competitive and I don't know why I put so much time and effort and energy into getting so hyped for this game every year when it's not even a game it's not even a rivalry the uh, number three team in the country just at home with one of the best atmospheres you could possibly have in the country and you get a big fat ugly goose egg get blown out by your quote-unquote rival 29 to 0 with nothing zero productivity on offense outside of a, a few nice passes to Justin Jefferson but I mean just I, I don't even know where to start or end with this garbage game <laughs> what is your I mean your overall first of all the overall takeaway has got to be the offense and the O-line but just just give me your just like quick thoughts to start that can get me off my rant the crowd was nice I, w- I do want to praise the tiger stadium crowd because honestly i've never seen anything like that before i was talking to to big fave a little bit before the game and we were trying to remember the last time if ever we had seen an atmosphere quite like that yeah and we couldn't come up with anything we kind of talked back to maybe florida in 2007 and we think that at least from a pregame and just like the build up to the game standpoint that it was a few notches below what we saw Saturday night. The crowd in the stands uh, was packed and loud. You can see some of my videos obviously on Twitter from from that night. And when I mean you know Usually pregame, there's a fair amount of people in that one corner by the student section kind of on the sideline, and but we're all back behind the that second line, yeah. a little further back, and there's some people in the other corner of that end zone. Somehow, the entire field Saturday night pregame ended up being surrounded by a human wall at the sideline itself that was like six or seven people deep. And just difficult to move. I honestly was wondering how they were going to clear that many people off to have a football game about 20 minutes before kickoff. And I mean, to their credit, they did a great job of, of clearing it and getting ready to, to kick off. But the game day, game day, game day crew was the best uh, best crew to show up Saturday. Yeah, yeah, for real. It uh, the the atmosphere was incredible. And then the game starts, and you see a couple positive things from the defensive side, at least, and. You know, they had a couple moments earlier where they bent, but they didn't break too badly. Uh, they got after Tua early. Um, 
and they were the first team to ever hold so far this season to hold Alabama without a touchdown on its opening drive. And you just it seemed like some things were going okay, but then the offense could never get anything going. And I kept looking at third down conversions and time of possession getting real lopsided and knew it would come back to bite LSU. And eventually it did. They you know they get down nine nothing and they give up that second touchdown right before half that really at that point already seemed like it kind of sealed it to be down 16 points to Alabama and then they could still just never get much of anything going offensively I thought the defense honestly played pretty well for the most part agreed Tua is an all-time great I think is is how he will end up going down he came to that setting played against a really good defense and had about a half a dozen Heisman moments before it was all said and done, but LSU's offense just did not help the cause whatsoever. Yeah, Tua was fantastic, um, and I, you know, you watch him against some of these lesser opponents, and you you can see the talents there. But you just everyone kept saying they hadn't played anybody yet, and this was supposed to be his first real test, and he still, um, I mean, finished the day with pretty pretty solid numbers, but still by far his quote unquote worst outing of the year. 24 of 42 for 295, two scores, and like you mentioned, his first interception. Um, and God, man, you and I talked about before the game, we said if they can keep it within a general ballpark, was keep it within 10 at halftime, make it a one to maybe two possession game, and you bring back Devin White, you make some halftime adjustments, maybe you get a score on, on something special, and, and then you got a ball game. When LSU got the ball back, Right, uh, I think it was a minute forty-five before half, and my first thought was, "This is a, this is the spot where you just kind of burn the clock." This is right after the, right after the interception. Um, get the ball back with I think a, a minute forty-five left, and no, sorry, the drive took a minute forty-five. They got it back with two fifty-five left, and I'm thinking, just you have the ball at the four-yard line, just find a way to get out of this half, burn three minutes off the clock, get a first down or two. And getting to halftime at 9-0, of course they can't do it. Uh, Auburn gets the ball back and scores in two plays, 54 yards, 27 seconds. Um, Tua goes to Irv Smith. Beautiful play. Yeah. I know LSU fans are upset about the penalty against Irv Smith after the play, but as far as the throw and catch, it was – very well done. Yeah, beautiful play, and it's got to hurt a little bit more. I think Coach O, you made a comment about that uh, in his press conference about Irv Smith being a New Orleans guy that they pretty much passed up on in recruiting, and uh, then he goes out and done, has the game he has against against LSU. Uh, good to see for Irv, but tough to, tough to swallow if you're an LSU fan. Um, but just, I mean, at that point, it felt like 16 points felt like they might as well have 60 points. I mean, it, that... It, I know that 16 on paper is still a two-score game, but at halftime, after watching that, whatever you want to call LSU's offense was doing, however many garbage can emojis you want to throw at that offense after that, um, that, that, that 16 points felt, I mean, damn near insurmountable. Um, and then, you know, then they go on to, to put up 29 total. LSU tries to go for a field goal. What was your thoughts on the field goal attempt with, uh, let's see, Field goal attempt yeah, with 10, 10.45 left and you're down 22-0 and you're trying to get three. Uh, what, what's, what's the difference between 20 to being down 22 and being down 29? But it's still three scores. I mean, 22 or 19, it's still three scores regardless. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a head-scratcher. I 
The only thing I can say is that you're having that much trouble putting any points on the board, and it's it's a fourth and I don't, don't remember if it was what six or seven. It was a fourth and it was not yeah. a short fourth. It was a fourth down. and eleven. Yeah, so it was a, a very long fourth down, and you just kind of want to see some points get on the board maybe at that point, and and hope that from a mental standpoint that kind of helps to, to finally break through and maybe build on that rather than go for a fourth and 11 against a defense you've had that much trouble with. But from a point in trying to cut down on the possessions that you're down standpoint, it does it did not help at all. You think you're just, I, tr- just trying to avoid having the big fat zero next to your name? Yeah, and, I mean, not necessarily in the sense of having given up on the game and avoiding that statistic of a second straight shutout. I would certainly hope that wasn't the mindset, but maybe just from a standpoint of that point in the game, from a from a mental perspective, trying to have those guys see some points get across, yeah, and may, and maybe try to build upon that if, if they can kick that three and get an onside kick and maybe do something. Uh, I mean, it was still it was still going to be an incredibly uphill battle with three. Honestly, it would have been a pretty uphill battle with seven or eight, but. It yeah I, I I understand the criticism of it and I I don't know I I think maybe if it was a more manageable fourth down that the decision goes the other way but for a fourth and eleven you know they they made that that decision and I I can kind of see and understand uh, some of the thought process behind it even though it it seems like it'd be a little bit unconventional yeah <clears throat> um. I mean, you mentioned the LSU, that Bama, excuse me, LSU's defense played pretty well against Bama's offense, and I, I tend to agree. They they made them made them work for the yards. Some of these guys ended up having some pretty decent days uh, anyway, but not, I mean, a lot of that is the defense is on the field for substantially more time than uh, than LSU's offense was. But uh, Damian Harris goes for 107 at a touchdown. Najee Harris goes for 83 on just six carries. And then Tua, um, 49 on the ground, which is really just anchored by that one forty-four yarder that he scored on. Um, Irv Smith was the second leading receiver, the guy we mentioned, with 64 yards. Uh, Jerry Judy, 8 for 103 um, to kind of round out um, Bama's offense. LSU on the flip side. Joe Burrow, 18 of 35 for 184 and the interception, um, the 17.7 QBR, in case you're wondering. The run game, oh, buddy. My boy Clyde, 6 for 14. Nick Brissett, 7 for 5. And I know, well, let's go to the, real, real quick, the receiving was uh, pretty much, it was Justin Jefferson, 6 catches, 81 yards. And, that, and he continues to play play pretty well. Um, if there was some semblance of a bright, I don't even want to call it a bright spot, a bright blip, I guess it was uh, it was Justin just having a decent game against that. But um I know you want to talk a little bit about the uh, the post game presser from Coach O and and his comments that have kind of been a little controversial the past couple days about you know his comments on it's not the scheme it's the we got to recruit you know better players to play against Alabama. Um, did you think that was the wrong way to 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 phrase it, or do you think he phrased it he just wasn't thinking you know all the way through and his words kind of got twisted in a way that he didn't he didn't mean? How did you kind of take those uh, that part of the post game comments? Yeah, I have some kind of mixed emotions. I, you know, it's kind of an emotional and disappointing moment for him to come out just a few minutes after that game and 
need to answer those questions. And I thought from his demeanor, he handled a lot of it pretty well. But the wording of that is is kind of tough to swallow if you're a player in that locker room. And I know some of those guys on the defensive line in particular have have kind of scratched their heads about that and taken a little bit of exception to their inclusion in the the conversation of of needing better talent to be recruited to be able to compete with Alabama. I think the two things that he probably meant to do were to say that they need to continue to recruit at a high level and have the best players in the country to go against an Alabama. Uh, best players both from a top end of your depth chart, but also you know, in terms of a depth situation that you need to have the best to compete with Alabama because they certainly have right. uh, a lot of talent and a lot of depth. And I think he also kind of was, it was one of those situations where a head coach was a little bit speaking through the media to some recruits and trying to you know, send a little subtle message that, hey, we feel like we can compete with these guys, but we need you to stay here in state and be a part of that because that's been kind of some of the pitch to some of these guys in recruiting like Big Ish out at Amy yeah. or Myron Warren who was who was in Tiger Stadium for the first time for that game and some of the DBs and, and on down the, the line. But at a you know at a really critical time in this season, it ends up creating some tension in in the locker room. And you saw Rashard Lawrence and Neil Farrell and some of those guys uh, question it a little bit. And I, you know, I do. I think it's kind of it's kind of ironic or contradictory for him to to stand up there and say there's not going to be any finger pointing, and and then a moment later say you know it's not the scheme. The scheme the schemes were great, which I think they probably could have done some things differently schematically on offense too, and. And really kind of used a little bit more misdirection rather than just going straight at them as much as they did. They, they used a little bit of those things, uh, but not as much as I think they probably could have. But for him to, to say, you know, it's not us, it's the players being outmanned as he's in the same breath saying that you can't, they can't have any finger pointing, I thought was kind of interesting. And also to include the defensive line that I thought didn't play terribly and also was recruited by... Ed Orgeron, so I I have a a little bit of a difficult time, particularly for that position group where he was the man prior to stepping up and being the head coach. He's he's the guy that brought all those guys here, and now he's saying they're not good enough in the postgame. Some of it I do think was a little bit um, misconstrued based off of what he probably meant, but even when he said it, I was a little bit confused about what he was saying verbatim. So I think it was a little bit of a combination there, but... Uh, now they've got to turn around and play an Arkansas team that can be pesky at times, yeah. and and do so with some, uh, some you know, coach inspired finger pointing in the locker room, which is a difficult thing to do. Yeah, I think overall, I kind of I kind of agree with 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 your take on on his comments. I think it was I don't know, man. I think I think his intentions were not to throw his players under the bus or to call him out or say that they weren't skilled enough or that kind of thing. I think he just very poorly worded what his message was, and so that's going to come across negatively, especially, number one, when you pull it out of context and you just see the quote written on paper, you're gonna it's going to come across differently than, than I think what his intentions were. Uh, that said, like you mentioned, it's causing kind of a, a rift. I mean, I've seen even some 
former players and like you mentioned the current guys who were upset about it and I think he tried to I don't know if you want to call it backpedaling but his Monday press conference he opened by saying first and foremost it's on the coaches they have to coach better and all that stuff and I think that's probably a a reaction to what sort of the the feedback he heard from on social media from from his comments uh a post game and I that's I guess that that is the hard part is I I, I I truly don't think his intentions were bad. I think he just didn't quite think out what he, not that that makes it any better because the comments were what they were. Um, but I think he just, he just didn't really, wasn't thinking about the way he was, you know, what he was saying and how, how he was saying it, trying to get the message across. And I think it was like you mentioned, a moment of a lot of emotions and he's upset with himself and he's upset with the, the result. And, um, and he just kind of, that comments got away from him, but I will be very curious to see how this team bounces back, especially, I mean, you know, we always talk about how the team hasn't lost two in a row under Coach O. Um, luckily, Arkansas is kind of a, a struggling football team, and we'll get into that game uh, here in a second. Do we? I mean, do we want to attempt to pick a play, an offensive player of the game? I was wondering if you were going to ask um, offensive player of the game. Can the offensive player of the game be Zach von Rosenberg? <laughs> That's what I was going to pick. Yeah, he can be. He was great, actually. Yeah, so the punter was was on point as usual. If you have to pick an actual offensive player, I I guess you have to go with Justin Jefferson as yeah. as a wide receiver. But it was just it was a bad all around offensive night. The offensive line was bad. Joe Burrow was not great. The running backs not particularly good for the most part. You know, Clyde had a couple couple nice plays on the on along a screen that he took a a nice way and. You know, getting involved in special teams, he had the big kick return that they then could not do anything with. Um, end up going two yards on three plays and punting the ball right back. But uh, there, there were not a lot of highlights in terms of LSU moving the football. Um, yeah, and I agree. I'll just... Three rushing yards uh... after three quarters and were less than twenty percent on third down conversions at that point, and kind of helped themselves a little bit in the fourth quarter. But it still ended up being bad. I mean that was honestly the worst offensive performance I've seen since that 2011 game. I mean that I there was I've never I've only I feel like the only team I've ever seen struggle to to get offense going that tough in a top ten game it was LSU in 2011. I that it was just just pathetic all around. Yeah, they've only been shut out four times at home in the last 25 seasons, all four by Alabama, including the Sweet. last two times Alabama has visited Baton Rouge. Sweet, sweet, that, sweet. The 2016 shutout was the first time since Bama did in 2002. Uh, so pre-Nick Saban. Uh, I mean, until LSU is – I know they've been – we've talked about last week about how they've been competitive in the games in Tiger Stadium for the most part recently. This is a, this is kind of the anomaly for the for the home games. But, I, uh, dude, until uh, – I, I need to correct myself too. Pre-Nick – before they really kind of climbed, he was there, but yeah. they hadn't – they hadn't. He hadn't gotten everything under their belts yet at that point. Yeah. Um. I just until this team can prove to me that they can actually play with Alabama, I just don't know if I'm gonna pick them to. Uh, I'm just frustrated. No. Oh, it's just. I mean, they're certainly not going to Tuscaloosa and beating Tua next year. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, so real quick, let's do defensive, and then we'll kind of <laughs> talk a little bit, a little bit more, just before I forget, because I forget every freaking week. Um. There was a, there's a couple guys that kind of stood out um, defensively. I just I'm looking at the stats now and I can't believe 
Uh, Devin White ends up being your third leading tackler despite not playing half of the football game, so that's that's impressive. But um, yeah, man, Devin t- White had a great half. Yeah, the, the two guys leading the pack are, the, I think, the two that you and I are going to kind of kind of talk between for a player of the game. But Todd Harris with 12 tackles, nine of which were solo, and um, and got the interception on Tua. And then uh, Pat- first, first of two this season. Happy birthday, Todd Harris! Yeah, seriously, he had a uh, an awesome game. Good to see him kind of kind of show out. When we talked about Delpit all year, and um, rightfully so, he's been fantastic. But to see Todd ball out in that his best game, and then um, Patrick Queen did a, I think a pretty nice job filling in for Devin. Uh, nine tackles, six of which were solo, and two tackles for a loss, um, as well as a QB hurry. I thought he played really well too, but. I think there's a number of guys you can kind of look at defensively and say they had had pretty strong games, but I'll let you uh, pick which one of your two one of your two dudes you want you want to pick. Yeah. Or, or you can go to a different direction if you want. The the, the world is your Thanks. oyster. Thanks, bro. Um, also worth noting that if that targeting call against Grant Delpit had <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know how the referees were getting out of Tiger Stadium alive because uh. that was so. That was still really early, and that Tiger Stadium crowd was really amped up, and it was, it was what it was either still scoreless or still just six to nothing. And if that had, if that had been upheld, it was it was going to get real nasty real quickly. And honestly, I don't know that it wasn't more targeting on that play than the Devin White play. No, it was de- that that was definitely more targeting than Devin White's. I, I still don't, I think it was the right call to overturn it, um, but from oh a my. safety stick. Jeez, dude. I mean. <laughs> Can you imagine what would have happened if they would have if they would have upheld that and tossed Delpit after <laughs> Devin and Delpit both out for the rest of the game? Oh yeah, Th- those guys would have been running uh, over Victory Hill with a mob chasing them like Shooter McGavin and, <laughs> and Happy Gilmore. Uh, my my defensive player of the game though, I go Patrick Queen. I thought he was really solid. Todd had a lot of plays. Uh, he obviously had the big the big play with the interception. I, I thought he kind of. He he misread a couple angles here and there that that hurt them and let some Alabama plays get bigger. I, I mean, than they needed to be. I still think overall a good game, particularly in that in that setting. Uh, but I, if I'm picking one, I'm taking Patrick Queen and the, those two dudes too. Honestly, uh, great friends. So yeah. I'm sure they'll be happy with whoever gets whatever recognition. Yeah, and I guess I'll just take Todd just for the um, just to be different on the, on the other end. Um, but yeah, awesome to see both of those dudes, some younger guys, um, get get some love and some shout outs. Um, okay, so so the the other thing I wanted to touch on before we move on into uh, to Arkansas too much is just the um, uh, just the Alabama rain on college football. And you know, if if you whether LSU deserves to be number three or not is obviously up for well, not number three anymore. But at the time when they were number three before this weekend, before they kicked off. Um, LSU was number three, and you look at this top four matchup, and then Bama runs away with it in a shutout. Nobody has played Bama close whatsoever this year, and I don't know who is going to play them close until they get to the, the national championship. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's going to be the closest game, and I don't even know if that one's going to be close this year. But I, Bama's ran on college football right now, and I mean, with two are back next year, things don't seem to be slowing down whatsoever over in Tuscaloosa. Is that is that good for college football? Is it bad for college football? Is it? Do you think it makes other people elevate their game, or do they just kind of have this monopoly on college football that makes it? It feels like almost the the SEC in particular, but almost the entire country is they're literally just playing for who's going to be second or who might be the team to pull some shocker and upset Alabama at at, at some point. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because they've been so good for so long, and then you throw a guy like Tua Tagovailoa into the mix, and suddenly they have one of the best offenses they've ever had, and are just that much more special on the side of the ball that has been a weaker link compared to how strong the defense has been. And so, I, you know, I made the comment, I have a difficult time imagining LSU next season going to Tuscaloosa and beating a year older Tua and company and Carly McCord, who obviously have done a lot of podcasts and radio with her. Her stance has been for a while that LSU would not beat Alabama again until Nick Saban either retires or dies, uh, which <laughs> – year in and year out looks more and more likely because obviously based on our podcast last week i thought that if they were going to get over the hump that this was about as good a year as any and then it it turned into a dumpster fire and that's that's just where alabama's gotten is they are i I still think saturday was more about how good alabama was than necessarily how bad lsu was overall I, i still think lsu is one of the top probably 10 teams in the country, particularly as good as that defense is. I just think Alabama is ahead of everyone else, and Clemson's kind of right there, kind of on their hips, and everyone else is just a big mix of teams that are good, but not nearly on that level, and that if any of them play Alabama 10 times, that the best they're hoping for is to win two or three of them. Uh, it's just that type of a, a lopsided matchup. That said, is I mean, is that bad for college football I don't see any reason to care like the whole argument about the Warriors are ruining the NBA and Alabama's ruining college football I think is just kind of goofy because at the end of the day get better like it's not Alabama's job to try and leave the door open for you to be able to compete with them better it's their job to be the best they can possibly be and that's what Nick Saban has done at that program and that's why they are where they are is because they continually strive to be better in every capacity and you know i'm sure some people in in baton rouge and around louisiana will will kind of criticize maybe some of the ways they do that uh without not even necessarily having a lot of inside information to that end there's just kind of an assumption and that is what that is but you can't expect as a competitor to look across the field and have your opponent be concerned with how fair the situation is they're going to do what they they can do to win as much as they can win and kudos to Alabama in, in that regard for doing a good job of that uh, and you know, I'd love to see LSU and some others catch up and close that gap on an annual basis but uh, that I, I don't know how you can fault anyone for it dude preach my dude preach could not agree more with everything you just said and the, uh, the other argument I love to make when people say that it's that they're pick your pick your team the Patriots the Warriors the Alabama um saying they're ruining the respect of sports you 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 think if lsu was doing what bama was doing or if the pels were doing what golden state's doing or if the saints could rattle off the dynasty like uh like new england that anybody in louisiana would complain i mean it sure it'll make it make it more fun if if you were more competitive with with these dynasties and that's obviously what your what your goal is but i i agree at the end of the day just sorry i mean get, get better it sucks to watch it sucks to be a part of it sucks that it's happening against your team in this you know in your lifetime while you're watching this sport but um yeah i mean end of the day it's called i mean nick saban is a lot of the reason for the turnover and a lot of head coaches in the conference and a lot of the head coaching turnover you can say are you know for the better i mean the georgia has has improved um the auburn game has been competitive lsu 
it's constantly making LSU fans more and more um, what's the word I'm looking for unstable or un, you know not not accepting where they where they are, which is I think is a good thing. I know it's again it's frustrating to watch these losses come every year to Alabama, but you're never going to be content. LSU fans are never going to be content going ten and two and losing to Alabama every year. At some point, they're going to want better, and I think it's only going to improve your program, improve your players. Ask, ask Les Miles. Yeah, I mean seriously. They they're gonna. I mean, unless this internal situation in the wake of O's comments Saturday night uh, really affect the team, they very well could and should finish ten and two on the season, which far exceeds expectations anyone externally had for them. So it's still, I mean, they still could very well finish with a great season. But it's this the way the Alabama game went is going to leave a sour taste in people's mouths just because of the way that rivalry has gone uh, for LSU fans. And, I, you know, I I look at at Nick Saban in, you know, kind of reference Anchorman. Shout out Vince Vaughn, who was, yeah. who was in the crowd on Saturday night. And I just I picture Wes Mantooth uh, with the ladder and, and Ron Burgundy over the, the bear pit or whatever. And he just goes, deep down in my stomach with every inch of me, I pure, straight hate you. But damn it, do I respect you. And that's exactly how I feel about Nick Saban. Like, yeah. it's, it's very difficult to like and appreciate him from a fan perspective on the other side but when you watch what he's done it's it's very impressive and you can't you can't criticize the uh the quality of of a coaching career he's put together because it's i mean it's second to none yeah exactly and again it's kind of a bummer to be on the other on the opposite end of what he's doing in tuscaloosa right now but it when all said and done i mean you know you're watching the best dynasty in possibly sports history. I mean, with what Nick Saban is doing over there in Alabama and the the machine he has, he's built. Um, and it, again, sucks to watch, but awesome as a, just a sports fan to, to be kind of, um, I don't know if awesome is the right word. It, it, impressive, like you said. Impressive to be a part of, uh, to watch this unfold year after year. And kind of, I wanted to just do one more little spin off of what you mentioned in the head coaching turnover and all that the hot topic this today naturally in baton rouge after a loss you're going to be who, who can we fire um and now everyone wants to fire stevens minger he's gotten two chances in tiger stadium and has put up a whopping zero points against alabama in his two tries there's no way they go for a third oc in as many years under coach o right no i don't think so not unless this this last month really becomes a problem the i mean at the end of the day they're gonna theoretically finish 10 and 2 yeah as a team that people are pegging as a six or seven win football team and it's it's been pretty positive overall saturday night was really rough uh i think you know it'd be interesting to hear some from behind the scenes too with regards to how some of that game plan was made up and how much involvement different people had with different aspects of it. Um, I think that's something to watch. But I think, honestly, that there are there are coaches on that staff that fans are much less critical of at the moment that are less likely to be in purple and gold in 2019 than Steve Ensminger. Yeah. And I think it's, just, it's kind of just that natural... Uh, coming off a loss, you want to find someone to blame. I mean, I, 
everything unravels in Baton Rouge after LSU loses. I mean, I saw dudes like on you know, all over social media asking, "Oh, is is Rashard Lawrence being underutilized because he's in a three-four and is in this guy? Can he, he can't rush the passer good?" I mean, you weren't before this game. No one was complaining about Rashard Lawrence's production or who's rushing the passer. Or, should we play Miles Brennan instead of Joe? But calm down. Everyone, it did, Bama's really freaking good, and you got blown out. And there's a lot of things that need to change for you to get to that level. But and I mean, you've you've put up seven wins, many of which, five of which are against ranked teams, three of which were against top ten teams, and none of those things were issues yet. Just because you had a bad week, I don't, I don't know. We start pointing fingers and firing guys and bringing in backups after one bad game against Alabama, but that's the way it goes in Baton Rouge, I guess. Yeah, that's the nature of big-time college football fandom. and uh, You know, it's as volatile and knee-jerk in Baton Rouge and in Louisiana as, as it is anywhere else. Not that that our state is alone in that regard, but it, it certainly takes turns on coaches and players uh, very swiftly. Yeah. Can I ask one question? How I, maybe I'm just really dumb. I don't know what qualifies as a QB hurry, but Bama is only credited for two of those. I, I feel like I mean I feel like uh, Joe Burrow dropped back 35 times. I I don't know how they don't have 34 QB hurries. Yeah, yeah, for real. He, he was uh he was on the move a fair amount. Uh, let's move on to Arkansas. It should not be quite as exciting of an atmosphere as, as this past week. Um, Arkansas coming into the game two and seven, zero wins in the conference. Their two wins came against I don't even know what EIU, Eastern Illinois. Is that who I'm yeah, looking at? They, they beat Eastern Illinois and Tulsa, and then beat Tulsa uh, in October. Yeah. So, um, 0 and 5 in the SEC. They've lost to uh, Auburn, A and M, Bama, but they did score against Bama. They put up 31. Watch out! <laughs> I remember seeing LSU fans that day say, "Oh, dude, if Arkansas can put up 31, we can definitely put up 35 or 40 at least." <laughs> and just thinking, even I was trying to find that tweet because I tweeted it, and I was thinking, even in that moment, man, these guys. These guys really don't understand what's going on here because I, I knew Alabama was LSU wasn't going to allow Alabama to score sixty five either. It just wasn't going to be that same type of game. Certainly did not expect LSU to put up a goose egg, but yeah, um, yeah that, that was just kind of an interesting uh, tangent. Yeah, um, but Arkansas, the team that's has, I mean, struggling, but but getting slowly and steadily better. I mean, it's Chad Morris's first year. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they I almost beat Ole Miss, and they almost beat Vandy. That's better How than... How do you feel about those teams on the Top 5 <laughs> podcast this year? A lot of garbage can emojis. A lot of garbage can emojis. But it's the first year under Chad Morris, and he's running a literally 180 difference in offensive style than, than Brett Bielema was. Um, Ty Story is their leading passer with... 1,223 yards. He's only completing uh, 58% of his passes. Nine touchdowns, seven picks. Um, Lafayette boy Cole Kelly has gotten some love this year as well. Um, they kind of had a little quarterback battle earlier in the year, but Ty Story seems to kind of taking that one. And then uh, Rakeem Boyd is their leading rusher, a guy that you might recognize from Last Chance U Season 3. Was it 3 that he was in? Whatever the most recent season was. Um and Devo Whaley, uh, Raheem Boyd, 615 uh, yards on the season with two touchdowns. 
Dev O'Whaley, a guy that you might recognize his name as well, just from previous years at Arkansas, 298 with two touchdowns. And LaMichael Petway and Cheyenne O'Grady, love the name, uh, lead the way. Petway with 354 through the air uh, receiving and O'Grady with 284, both of them with four touchdowns. And a return against your boy John Chavis running that defense, which is not too bueno. Um but this, I mean, theoretically, this should be a game that LSU, I mean, it's an SEC game, so it's, you know, it's a good conference. Anyone can beat anybody on, on, on any given day. But Arkansas is struggling this year. LSU, as long as they show up and play their brand of football, this really should not be a super tough game. But, again, we said we've more under less than we've seen under Coach O's. Maybe I shouldn't quite take that same, uh, t- same approach with these Arkansas games. But we've seen LSU in the past lose to Bama and then – uh, struggle against Arkansas the following week or whoever they play the following week. Um, but, I I mean, do you see – I don't know what kind of formula has to happen for Arkansas to, to, to pull this one out. I, do, do, you, do you see a route to, to victory for the Razorbacks? I think the route to victory starts with how well LSU rebounds and shows up cohesively with everything that's occurred in the wake of that Alabama game. Uh, because from a on paper and looking at the the quality of the teams, LSU should be able to go up there and and just worry about LSU play play to its ability and even on a little bit of an off day have success and, and beat Arkansas. I just I think a lot of this week goes to making sure that you're all on the same page and and turning the page from that Alabama loss and looking back forward at at what can still be accomplished and just making sure there is no finger pointing and and that people are are focused and bought in and all of those things i i I think as long as those kind of behind the scene things are taken care of for lsu that there should not be much of a concern for uh for the tigers as they go up there but i suppose we will see in just a few days yeah we will see um LSU leading in most statistical categories. Um, Arkansas averaging a slightly slightly more yards per game, uh, but giving up significantly more um, than LSU. What are you looking for out of? I mean, I know you mentioned the just you know coming out coming out and showing up and not having that behind the scenes stuff bother them. But anything, especially offensively, that you want to see this week after a couple ugly games against Mississippi state and, and Alabama. No, I mean, just kind of get back to, to what you were doing before there. I think they should have more time for Joe Burrow and more holes in the, uh, in the offensive line with regards to creating space for Clyde and Nick to run. And if they have any kind of time in that regard to just get a lot of different guys involved and the same way that they were for a while there. And, but it all starts with that offensive line that's been a question mark throughout the season and been such an issue for them in the, the two losses and even to a degree against Mississippi State in a victory. And, you know, it doesn't have, it should not have to be anything particularly fancy. They shouldn't have to go out there and, and be game planning against all the problems that Arkansas is going to create for them the same way that they had to against some of these other SEC opponents, obviously. You know, they've got to take Arkansas seriously and, and break down 
the film of what the Razorbacks do like any any other team that you're going to face, but it shouldn't be quite as stressful as where we were talking about last last week. You know, what do they have to do to try and counteract this? Like, is there a way that they can put together a game plan that can present some success against the Crimson Tide? Lulls. Really, really, if uh, if if LSU goes up there and and takes care of business in terms of just playing together and playing cleanly and not hurting themselves they they should be okay yeah i wish there was something more more exciting angles or hot takes to have with this game but this really should be a pretty straightforward uh matchup for lsu the point spread is currently sitting at about 13 and i know you didn't prepare for the uh the prediction segment so um how did you know (laughs) i guess uh, the same way I always forget how to do the uh, the players of the week. So I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. And I think LSU is – I'm going to give Coach O some credit in the sense of he's he still has not lost back-to-back games. You know, he's had some tough spots to come in, whether it was interim last year against Troy, um, earlier this year against Florida, and then having some big games behind that, uh, like you know, Georgia and Mississippi State back-to-back after that. Um, I think he's going to have this team ready to go and, and, and playing pretty well. I think LSU can put up some decent amount of points. I think they'll get, uh, I'll say 38, um, 38, 17 LSU. I think it's probably a pretty, a pretty comfortable win. I, I just don't, I don't see Arkansas's defense being able to, I mean, after watching LSU's offense last week, I don't know how I have any confidence in them, but um, Arkansas's defense just has not been very good. And I just think LSU's going to come out ready to play, ready a little bit of vengeance after that. After that loss, Coach O finds a way to, to get him up. So I'll say 38-17, Tigers. LSU 34, Arkansas 16. So I'll say relatively similarly. I really do think that the only the only hesitation that we should have in this situation is if some of the behind-the-scenes stuff continues to, to boil uh, and, and that that's not something that's taken care of and, and that they're not – on the same page heading up to Fayetteville. But otherwise, they they should have the ability to not only win but go up there and cover. Not that I, you know, am advocating for betting. Hey, if you vote on uh, November 6th, you can add – you can vote for gambling being allowed uh, – sports gambling being allowed in Louisiana. So you never know. Maybe, maybe you will be able to adv- advocate for it here shortly. Yeah. As soon as we find out, then, then I will definitely – I'll advocate for that vote for now, I guess. Just some, <laughs> yeah, some more, some more money to fix some things around here. There we go. Um, Tiger details. I'm sure I got a, a busy week. I know some uh, Sam's been all, all over the place in the recruiting world and um, and the and the Ryan Clark podcast. I'm sure there's a ton ton to talk about after this Bama game, which I got. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of those basketball season also starting up this week. Uh, so we will actually we're gonna have a few. A few new faces getting involved and, and helping um, in, in some spots as some of the sports seasons overlap, and so keep an eye on on that. Uh, but really, a lot of it is just kind of covering this this wake and and shake back from the the Alabama loss, both from a this team right now standpoint as well as what some of the recruiting reactions have been and how that portion of the program. Uh, comes together for the 2019 class moving forward. Word. Y'all go check out tigerdetails.com. Jared, enjoy your chicken if you didn't already finish it. Uh, <laughs> and it's the blue store. Of course I enjoyed it. <laughs> 
Uh, check him out on Twitter at uh, Jarrett Roser. I'm on Twitter at Mark Clements225. And be sure to follow all of the 225 brands as well. Facebook.com slash 225 magazine. And on Twitter and Instagram at 225 Baton Rouge. And uh, be sure to subscribe to the Tiger Pride podcast on iTunes and or SoundCloud if you haven't already. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you all next week, hopefully with some uh, more enthusiasm and some better results than what we saw this past week. We'll see you all then.